Minasan, konnichiwa, and welcome to the Board Game Dojo, where we use science and history to learn more about board games and the people who play them. Today, we are trying something new. We are going to do a deep dive on a few games, the Yokohama family of games, which includes the original Yokohama and its follow-ups, Yokohama Duel and Yokohama Roll and Write. We will first explore a little bit of the history that the board games are loosely based on, but I will include a time in the episode description if you want to jump straight to the reviews. And of course, if you want to hear more reviews, check out our YouTube channel at The Board Game Dojo, which I'll include a link to down below as well. But without further ado, let's delve a bit into the history of Yokohama. Yokohama is currently the second largest city in Japan in terms of population, sitting right outside Tokyo to the south. It's a beautiful port city sitting by the bay and is a booming municipality home to the car company Nissan, a thriving shopping district called Minato Mirai, and a great place of cultural exchange where you can visit the largest Oktoberfest and Christmas village in the Tokyo area. It is a city that has seen its fair share of movies hosted in, including the animated Ghibli film From Up on Poppy Hill and the recently popular manga and anime series Komi Can't Communicate. They are a popular sports town, and their stadium is often the destination for traveling international teams, including where my now wife and I went to our first major date, which was when Chelsea Football Club visited Japan for a friendly match. But it wasn't always this way. In fact, in the history of Japan, it is quite recent. Before 1854, it was but a small fishing village of only 600 people. It is important to remember that during this time, Japan had a policy of seclusion or isolation. Called Sokoku, this period of isolation was not as complete as before, but still limited the amount of Western influence, partly in response to the increasing influence of Spain and Portugal, and notably their religion, Catholicism. But during this time, many of Japan's traditional cultures either started, like Kabuki theater, or grew in richness, like bonsai and kintsugi, the act of repairing broken ceramics with gold, and what we now know as motainai culture, which is the conscious effort of not being wasteful. This is the time in which the famed samurai, which were often just fancy tax collectors by the end of their time, worked, as this was the time in which the Tokugawa shogunate favored strict social hierarchy. The isolation worked well, with a thriving culture that was uniquely Japanese. That is, until a few steamships showed up from America. Now the story of Commodore Matthew Perry is often skirted around and taught in different ways, with my first education on the subject being centered around peaceful negotiations between the Emperor of Japan and Perry to open up Japan. But it was really not that nice. Perry showed up with a fleet of warships equipped with the latest explosive technology that was far, far superior to anything the Japanese had. He ignored orders from the Japanese, French, and even his own commanders, bluffing that he had more warships on the horizon if they refused him an audience with the emperor. The shogunate, who was really in charge of the country, was sick, however, and others received the letter asking for the port to be opened up. He would first leave to give them time to talk it over and figure out how to give them what they wanted, and he left to China. The shogunate had a problem, however, and that the port he wanted open was way too close to the capital for comfort. The sailors and military men could just hop on the highway and take over what was the largest city in the world. So that's how Yokohama was decided on. Close enough to appease the demands of Perry, but far enough away for the reigning powers to feel safe. They met almost all of the other demands of Perry, and upon his return, the British and French returned with him, making sure that he would not get exclusive rights to this island. It was well known that the Americans were not the first in the West to trade with Japan. This was just the reopening of Japan to the West, and the end of Sokoku. The Dutch had been trading the whole time in Nagasaki, and in fact, one etymology as to how Japan went from Nihon, or Nippon, which is what Japanese people call Japan, to Japan, 
is based off of the Dutch language sounds, with them hearing yapunt, but the Y sound is a J in Dutch, so it became written as English would pronounce it, Japun or Japan. Back to Yokohama, though, within years, the city was full of traders and sailors. Western technology and Eastern technologies were exchanged, religious ideas outside of Japan's Shinto and Buddhist religions were talked about again, and Japanese staples like fish and tea were traded freely. Yokohama, to this day, is a place of international exchange, and many international ships still need to clear Yokohama Bay. But this setting of growing exchange is where our family of games takes place. So let's start with Yokohama, the big kahuna, the, according to BGG at the time of recording, the 121st best game of all time. Yokohama is a game in which you play as a merchant, trying to gather goods and develop technologies to fulfill contracts for foreign traders, gain faith at the church, and exchange imports at customs. Yokohama is a sprawling modular board that changes size based on player count, but the most famous thing about the game is probably its system of worker placement that is reminiscent of the game Istanbul. It works like this. At the beginning of your turn, you have the choice to put either a total of three assistants down, which works as one in three different spots, or two assistants in the same spot. You'll then move your president, and where they land is the action you take that round. However, you can only move your president through spots that have one of your assistants there, and must also finish on a spot that has an assistant there. This means that you have to plan where to put your assistants ahead of time to make a path for your president to go where you want to go. The number of assistants and trading houses that you might build on that spot you finish on is the amount of power you have, meaning how strong that action is that turn. So, for example, if I have two assistants there, that's two power, plus the president landing there for an extra power, for a total of three power. That three power will mean different things for different spots. For example, it might mean I get three T tokens. I then pick up all the assistants on that spot, do some cleanup, and it's the next person's turn. This modular board is equally important to not only the game state, but its scalability and variability. You might wonder how, if you play with the same locations, it would be fun from game to game. But the modularity makes every game feel... different. Because certain spots will be harder to get to. I forgot to mention that if someone's president is there, unless you have a certain technology, you can't go there. Meaning you're effectively... blocked. Another rule is that if you move through a spot that has someone else's president on it, you have to pay them, meaning that if you don't have money, you're effectively blocked. And even the slightest of blocking can really put a damper on your efficiency engine. What can also happen with this modular board is that a type of good or a category of action can totally be on one section of the board, meaning everyone is trying to be over there at the same time, jostling and blocking each other to get enough. It is incredibly fun. Now let's just put it out there, this game sits in my top 10 of all time. I love this game. This game feels like a game in which there are so many possibilities on a big board full of choice. Want to fulfill a contract? Okay, go for some goods. Or maybe this turn you'll buy a trading house, or a technology, or get some faith. Or maybe I want a foreign agent, ooh yeah, which I get for fulfilling contracts or developing technologies from the same country, so that I can get a free action. And this allows me to do something completely on the other side of the board that I wouldn't have been otherwise able to do. This amount of choice makes it oddly accessible for its weight and it's fun for players playing it for even the first time. Slowly but surely, they're able to figure out how to get from point A to point B, making a logic train of assistance covering the board. And this is exactly the satisfaction that comes with more plays. Even though people brand new to the game can score points, it's a wonder to see just how efficient good players can be. How can they leave paths open to adaptability, but also not give anything away so that others can't try to block them? It's a skill you can see, and even if you're new to it, one you can appreciate. Yokohama sits as one of the games I've played the most, which is saying something for a game that definitely isn't short. 
Don't get me wrong, it doesn't overstate its welcome, but for a game that is definitely on the heavier end of things, getting to over 50 plays is a milestone in this age of board game exploration. But as exploratory as Yokohama is, as open as it is, is the exact closeness you find in its brethren, Yokohama Duel. Yokohama Duel is a game in which you play as a merchant trying to gather goods and develop technologies to fulfill contracts for foreign traders, gain faith at the church, and exchange imports at customs. But for two players only. When Yokohama Duel was announced, it was met with a bit of... What? They're making a two-player version of this game? But it already plays well at two. In fact, even today, Yokohama is ranked as recommended for each of its player counts between two and four players. So what exactly was the purpose? Now, I'm not really sure what designer Hisashi Hayashi was really going for, but something can be said of just how hard he focused on one aspect of the original game. You see, Yokohama was most famed for that train of assistance that you'd leave around to board to get places. It would also be compared to Istanbul, which I did a very similar thing. But there was one aspect of Yokohama that shined as a mechanic in the higher player counts, but not at two. Blocking. Even though the board was modular and you'd scale it down for two players, there just wasn't as much jostling for position, blocking presidents, or just generally getting in each other's way. My guess is that Hayashi saw this and went, well, how can I make this more blocky? How can I make it more interactive between the players? And from this, Yokohama Duel was probably born. Again, not really sure if that's what happened, but it's what it feels like, and it's how I would go into Yokohama Duel. Much of the game remains the same, but with tweaks that both feel large, yet oddly familiar. Gone is the famed worker placement mechanic of leaving assistance around the board. In comes a much simpler system. Cards. Each player will start the game with four worker cards. One that is one power, one that is two power, one three, and one four. You can choose to upgrade one of these at the end of each round by paying varying amounts of money. You will take turns playing cards down, starting with the lowest power and working upwards. If someone has gone to a location that round, the other player cannot go there. So it's a constant question of, well, I need to play my one power card, which will only get me one T, but I need two T's to fulfill my contract. However, the, they, they only need one T. So should I put my one power card there first? So they don't get it, even though it also really doesn't satisfy my condition? It's a bit of a put your luck, but also trying to play the other player. While Yokohama asks you to make moves that feel good, Yokohama Duel just says, fail as less as possible. Where Yokohama feels open and like there's nothing bad to do, Yokohama Duel, on the other hand, feels more closed or like there might be nothing good to do. Where Yokohama favors efficiency in planning, Yokohama Duel favors adaptability. Where Yokohama feels like a long game of possibility, Yokohama Duel, with only 16 turns in the whole game, feels like a game of stressful, important decisions. Now, there are some other slight changes that aren't huge but definitely notable. Imports in Duel are a lot more important. You'll actually see all of the technology cards in Duel as they reset at the end of each round, and foreign agents are extremely useful in Duel, so you won't find yourself having some that you don't know what to do with, like you may in Yokohama. In fact, it is these foreign agents that allow you, later in the game, to go somewhere the other person has gone before, just usually not as powerfully. Overall, I think what Duel does is interesting. I think that Duel games come in a couple different flavors. Some of them try to better the two-player version of the original game, some make it just the same world but with vastly different rules, and still some are just variants, really. Yokohama Duel feels like it is in the same world, so gives that familiarity. The same objectives are there, fulfilling contracts, gaining faith, and finding a good tech to help you out. But what substituting worker cubes with cards does is making it feel different enough to warrant having both in my collection, something that other games like the Networks and its two-player version did not. It's especially helpful in that regard that Yokohama Duel is playable in just 30 minutes. But the real question is, which one is better? Yokohama at two players, or Yokohama Duel? It's a question that I've been struggling with, and even sitting here writing the script, I don't feel overwhelmingly in one direction or the other, which I guess is an answer in and of itself. 
Yokohama Duel feels like a streamlined version of Yokohama, which is fun and gives me a taste of the system in about half the time. But the streamlining does take things that I loved about the original out. I loved putting my assistants around the board and firing off a powerful action that I had been saving up for the last few rounds. But I can see how just making this action a card makes it so much faster. I think it comes down to the fact that you can have fun playing either. If you are someone that likes openness and efficiency, I think you're fine with sticking with Yokohama. It plays well at two, and even though you can have games where you can safely avoid each other for most of the time, Yokohama still hits that dopamine receptor. Yokohama Duel, on the other hand, is a tight puzzle that you need to go in with the expectation that it's going to be a somewhat mean, interactive two-player game. I don't think it's going to be anyone's favorite two-player game, but it does the job well of being a nice little variant on Yokohama that still has some of the flavor, but at a fraction of the time. Now, Yokohama Duel, of course, was not the only attempt by Hisashi Hayashi at recreating the flavor of his well-perceived game. There is also Yokohama Roll and Write, a Japan-only release in which you play as a merchant trying to gather goods and develop technologies to fulfill contracts for foreign traders, gain faith at the church, and exchange imports at customs, but doing it Roll and Write style. Now, going into this, I have to admit, my expectations were pretty high. Not only did Hisashi Hayashi design Yokohama, but also the quite popular flip and write from 2018, Metro X, a game in which you are flipping cards to make subway lines. So here it was, a combination of the two things that Hayashi had already shown he could do well. But I cannot keep on this high for long, because pretty much straight from opening up the rulebook, this game irritated the heck out of me. If you listened to our interview with Ryan Campbell last week, he talked about the importance of translating rules because in some games, missing a rule or two can be detrimental. After we stopped recording, we kept talking for a while longer, and he mentioned that there is such a huge difference between being a good game designer and being good at writing rules. And Yokohama Roll and Write, it feels like that. For one thing, some things are only pictured and not actually described at all in the rulebook, and you need to figure out the setup based on those pictures. But more fundamentally, one of the most important parts of the game, the adjacency rule, was just straight up so poorly explained that I looked up three different explanations of it in both English and Japanese and got three different versions of it. I guess I should explain how the game works before I go on further. In Yokohama Roll and Write, you will be working on your sheet to do a lot of the same things you do in Yokohama. At the beginning of the game, the different locations like the copper mine and bank will be randomized from 0 to 7. You'll flip a few cards at the beginning of the round and put them in their respective locations next to a colored die. You'll then roll those die. The die will tell you the location and the card will tell you how much power. So for example, if the white die says 3 and 3 for your game is the bank and then the power card next to the white die this round is a 2, that means if you choose that die, you'll get 2 power to the bank. Now hold on, wait a second. How do you then roll a 7? Well, this is where the adjacency rule comes in. You can only put a maximum of two power into one slot, and you can use the remaining power from that turn to start moving up and down, leaving a trail of one power as you go, kind of like the logic train you see in Yokohama. You'll then choose what location on your sheet that you want to use the power that you have in that location, doing that action and gaining any rewards you reap. Now, along the way, you can get technology cards like in the big version, but you are limited based on the power of that technology and the location of it which does provide an interesting wrinkle when you're trying to get powers to work more magic on your sheet. But even when looking up to describe to you how this technology works, just to make sure I'm right, I continue to run into the same problem I did with the adjacency rule. I go back to the rulebook to check a question I have, and it's just not there. I need clarification, and it just isn't in the rulebook. And this is what drives me insane about this game to the point that honestly, I can't even talk objectively about it. There are so many interesting points in this game that can make this the much closer brethren of Yokohama. I can see where there are moments of brilliance, but man, there are so many things that let this down that I just can't possibly stay in that fun mind space. The production is just terrible, for one. 
there's almost no room to make the lines and crosses you need on the bottom of the page, meaning you end up getting an absolute mess that you can't read. The game desperately needs player aids to help remember what half of the things do, and yet there isn't any. And the rulebook needs a complete overhaul. And that's so infuriating. Because I think with some tweaks and some investment in quality production, this game could be something that is up there in the better, heavier rolling rights. I can understand that they wanted to keep the box size small, and so they wanted to keep the paper small, but take a look at these larger rolling rights that are coming out now. People clearly don't mind a bigger box rolling right for their crunchier ones, so I don't think it's necessary to keep it to such a small size. The promise is there, it's just, can I recommend a game based solely on promise when there's already so many polished rolling rights out there with good production? Especially for the $50 price tag, it'll cost you to buy and import it. So that brings us to the end of the discussion. Three games, Yokohama, Yokohama Duel, and Yokohama Roll and Write. What should our final scores be? If you haven't watched our YouTube, or at least one of the earlier ones where we talk a bit about the review system, we rate on a scale of three stars, with no stars meaning not worth the import, and any star meaning worth the import. One star means good, worth it if you're looking for this specific genre. Two stars means essential, but not at any kind of astronomical price. Get it if you can. And three stars means get it however you can, an essential everyone should have. Of course, we also give honorable mentions. But these scores are based on uniqueness of the game, value for the price including how much it costs to import, replayability, availability, and is it something someone who doesn't speak the language can play? Let's start with Yokohama Duel. I think for fans of Yokohama, it is a solid game, and is one of the better two-player worker placement games around. It plays snappy, and if you can get the deluxe version of the game, it's gorgeous, and it gives me a streamlined feeling that differentiates it from its predecessor. It's not going to be anyone's favorite, I don't think, but if you want something solid, this one is worth a look. One star for Yokohama Duel. Let's continue on with Yokohama Roll and Write. I want to join the commentary on BGG that says how clever this game is, but I more agree with the lower Japanese sentiments around the game. This game, for the price, just has too many annoyances to fully recommend. Let me know in a year if the rules have been cleared up, or maybe a new version comes out that has been edited. I'd love to take another crack at it. But for now, no stars. Cannot recommend something this unpolished for how much it costs. And finally, we can end on a high note. The wonderful Yokohama. I can't hide my love for this game. It is one that I introduce to everyone I can and shout from the rooftop that it is still too underrated at number 121 on BGG. The worker placement works beautifully, the modularity of the board keeps it feeling fresh yet familiar, and the only thing I want now is an expansion that adds some more locations or some more tech because I've played this game so many times. It is getting the first, well, I think it's the first, ever three-star recommendation from the board game dojo. Get it however you can, because it's an amazing game. Well, that's all for us today. We hope you enjoyed our first ever deep dive into a board game series. If you did, please let us know on Twitter or Instagram, or leave us a five-star review on your podcast app. It really helps people find us. We are approaching one year doing this, and we can't thank you enough for tapping in, whether today is your first time or you've listened to every episode so far. We hope you have a great week, everyone. Jane!